Hey, man, so let's get controversial. Raylene, you ready? Let's do I'm it. Ready. Let's get controversial. <laughs> so what is the collectivist concept of white privilege, and do I have it? Because I'm whiter oh, than a snow. Man. I think, I mean, Raylene is white. So am I. We're like, we're vanilla. We are so vanilla. So um, do I? Do we have privilege? Or does she have, do I have more privilege than her? Because I'm a white male. I'm a white cis male. So I must be fucked. <laughs> yeah, no, you, it's you're the highest. <laughs> What's that? It's the opposite effect because you have the privilege. So Yes. Well, I'm, I'm like, I'm fucked with like high school and college students. Not in a good way either. <laughs> you're you're economically well off, but you're morally fucked. Is, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> morally <laughs> fucked. I love that. <laughs> Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. It's Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with the Ray of Truth herself, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Give it up! Raylene, this is your first official Johnny Rocket Blast Off show. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm so happy to be here. So how you doing? I'm doing great. It's been an awesome day. I got my internet all fixed. I met a new guy. It was the cable guy. His name was Ricky, and he was just so much fun. And he's never heard of what a libertarian was. I'm not kidding. And when I described it to him, he actually said he's a libertarian too. So, oh, there you go. So you're like you're influencing people. You you don't even know it all the time. So like you, first of all, so okay, so you met a cable guy. So is this like just to let everyone know you're married, right? <laughs> Can we just get yeah, it? very, very. Because it didn't, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't sound good. You're like, yeah, I hooked up with a new guy and he's a cable guy. And I'm like, Raylene. No, this man is very happily in a relationship. And uh, we, we actually made <laughs> friends with each other. It was really nice. Very cool. Very cool. So we did episode zero. So if you didn't subscribe to our Patreon, if you want to hear the actual very first episode uh, with Raylene and I, it would be episode zero. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash JR Launchpad. And anyway, so it's Johnny Rocket always launching ideas. And Raylene, we have a cool guest and really cool guy because we were talking about having him on the show. But I'm like, I'm going to talk to him just to kind of, you know, kind of see where this guy's coming from. <laughs> And this guy's really cool. Not only is he intelligent, but he's really a cool dude. Yeah. Anyway, so his name is Apollo Slater. He's a software developer and writer in San Antonio, Texas. He writes on politics, economics, and technology from a voluntarist perspective. After working in the technology field for more than a decade, he started his own software consultancy and has developed a number of enterprise and consumer applications. In response to the 2008 financial crisis and the Ron Paul 2012 campaign, Apollo started writing about political topics such as the ethics of working for the government, using technology to ad advance voluntary society, private property rights theory, and many others. Apollo's work can be found at ApolloSlater.com or on Facebook and Twitter as Apollo Slater. I welcome here to Blast Off. Welcome, Apollo Slater! Johnny, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Good, brother. How you doing? Very, very good. Having a good day so far. Rock and roll, man. Rock and roll. Anyway, so what we do here is this is our very first show. So you are now in the history books 
of being the very first guest on Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. Yes. This is amazing. <laughs> Sweet. Congratulations, Apollo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. I'm excited that this is our first show. I've actually made it through 150 of them, and I said, screw it. I'm starting over again. This sucks. If episode one. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? All right. Anyway, so, Apollo, I've been reading some of your work, and I've been to ApolloSlater.com, and you have some really very unique ideas and different ways of looking at libertarianism and voluntarism. One of the things that you do talk about is you ask this question, you know, my question to you is how would we advance or how would we use technology to advance a voluntary or libertarian society? What things do you think? I mean, is it Bitcoin? Is it, I mean, what are the things that you think would lead us in the right direction. I think we've uh, just started scratching the surface on that. So people usually talk about, you know, the internet, uh, YouTube and, and crypto recently uh, that are helping us uh, get the message out there in a way that wasn't possible before. Right. And, you know, really, we're just at the beginning of that. So that's why I'm kind of optimistic on using tech to uh, advance libertarian thought. And one of the things that's kind of been missing is what I call metrics. So how well are we doing at accomplishing our goals, like as libertarians? And the the reason is we don't really have a good way to measure how effective we are, like how different strategies play out. We have a lot of discussions, a lot of kind of factional uh, arguments about, you know, uh, is it uh, good to do things uh, like with with a short term view or a long term view? Do we educate people? Is politics the right way to go or is tech or is it something else? We don't really have a good way of objectively measuring how effective uh, those strategies are at advancing our goals. So I think that's one way that technology can help us get to a voluntary society if we just are able, are better able to understand uh, where we're being effective and where we're not being effective. I have a question for you uh, regarding this. How does the government need to get out of the way to help progress with technology right now? Oh, there's so many ways. Uh, like a laundry you list, right? It's a fucking laundry <laughs> list. I mean, yeah, but I, I can, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of impediments that, that government puts in our way just in, in terms of taxes and regulation, but to take something specific that's been uh, a recent uh, issue, uh, this new GDPR law uh, coming out of Europe uh, has been a really big issue that's kind of caused, uh, and the reason I mention it uh, is that it's affecting everybody, not just Europeans, but kind of every internet company in the world is kind of having to abide by this law just on the off chance that, um, you know, if a European goes to your website, well, you're liable, you know, and they could, uh, you could face liability in, in uh, the EU. So uh, basically what this law does is it says people have a right to be forgotten, uh, which means if you have any kind of data on somebody, you have to basically scrub it uh, off your servers um, just after a short amount of time. And if you don't, then then you could be liable. Um, wow. And the danger of this, uh, as a lot of people have pointed out, is really this, this could apply to pretty much any business that's on the internet or not even a business, but just a, a small blog right? That's writing about somebody. And I was just talking to a lawyer buddy of mine who's who's in town about this and I asked him, you know, could it be possible that if I'm writing about a European just on my blog, um, you know, that's personal, personally identifying information just using their name, could I potentially be liable under this law? And he said, it's possible. Wow. 
Talk about overreach, right? It's crazy. And it's crazy that, you know, we're, we're in America, we you know have uh, free speech, we have the First Amendment, unlike in Europe, but we're still affected by this. Uh, so I think that's one huge area where government needs to get out of the way. You know, either the EU needs to scrap this thing or the American government needs to say, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to abide by this or, you know, Americans are going to be uh, indemnified or something. And I, I think eventually it'll it'll come to that. It'll, there'll, there'll be some kind of like trade war that comes out of this. I think that's that's what it's about. I'm with you. I think it would probably be more economic or computer war, some sort of thing like that. I don't think it would be a physical war anymore, especially with civilized society, right? Yeah. <laughs> civilized, yes. But I mean, really, I, I think we're kind of beyond that now, especially with our Western colleagues. If we have problems with them, it's going to be completely economical. And, and same with China. If we ever tried to, you know, flex, it would definitely be more economic. There are just too many nukes lying around. So there, we're not going to see a huge world war like in the battle days. And if, if we do, it's, you know, right. it's game over pretty much. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're right on that one. So in your article, the end of the founding myth, why do you believe it was a fake revolution against Great Britain? I read that article and I was like, you mentioned it was a fake revolution. What do you mean by that? Because I'm curious to see what you're thinking about that, how you came up with that. Many revolutions, in fact, all revolutions have a, a myth around them that is pretty different from how the history actually played out and what the actual motivations were at the time. Specifically with the American Revolution, you know, we're told that it was these grassroots patriots that were tired of the, you know, relatively small taxes that the British Empire was levying on, you know, uh, stamps and stationery. And they rose up against the big bad empire and just through, you know, grit and will, they overcame and they established a free democratic republic. And that was the source of all our liberties ever since. That's what I was. You know, though, that, that's a cool story, though. <laughs> that, Come on, now you have to admit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a cool story. That's like the underdog gets. You know, yeah. it's like we just sucked. We're just a bunch of hillbillies, and we just overthrew this empire. You know. So go ahead, man. I'm really curious. Feels good, doesn't it? I mean, it it, it really kind of gets at what we think of ourselves as Americans. Just um, kind of taking down the empire. Sure. Yeah. And and then you, you look a, a little more closely, and you know, it, it's not it's not quite there. And and just a couple of things. Uh, stick out just from the textbooks and then you begin to unravel it one is you know the revolution wasn't actually supported by a majority of americans a majority of the people in you know british north america uh it was supported by maybe a third um of the people a third were loyalists and a third were kind of in the middle didn't care one way or another so it, it strikes me as odd that you know we have this myth about how the people rose up but it really didn't even have this democratic majority type of mandate. You know, it was really a minority of the people that, that were wanting this revolution in the first place. Another thing that uh, sticks out is we revere the Constitution so much, uh, we look to it as almost the source of our rights, even mm-hmm. if that's misguided. But, you know, it was yes. drafted and imposed on the country by just this group of guys, you know, this group of property owners that kind of elected themselves. It really wasn't uh, the result of like a popular Right. Uh, movement right. and it wasn't put to a referendum, nothing like that. It was it was a group of guys, so wealthy guys that who basically yeah, who basically said, this is what we're going to do. And the people got to back us up on this. And they did it. They implemented it without any permission. Yeah, technically they did. They were the minority. You're absolutely right. 
Yeah. Nobody really thinks about it like that. They think that everyone was just like, oh, this is great. We're paying all this taxes on tea. So fuck <laughs> you. We're going to have a war. No, I mean, it wasn't like that. But you're right. I, I love the story, though. Keep going. Man. To speak to the taxes, you know, the complaint, the retroactive complaint was, you know, they were having to pay these taxes, you know, on paper or tea. But really, uh, if you look at what happened since then, since the revolution and since the Constitution, it, it's not that the new government didn't charge any taxes. You know, the Continental Congress was charging taxes, you know, even during the revolution. In fact, the currency, uh, you know, the Continental was essentially a voucher system that you could use these vouchers to pay your taxes to the Congress. You know, that was the first currency. So, uh, you know, they're on that right off the bat. It didn't take any time. Hmm. And even, you know, you know, uh, probably about the Whiskey Rebellion. So after, um, you know, the Constitution was established and so on, sure. you know, you had some people in Pennsylvania who were uh, were in open rebellion over this idea of uh, paying uh, tax on whiskey. And <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're making your livelihood from it and, and so on, and suddenly the government too. tries yeah. to mess with it, that's exactly what they fought the revolution sure. against, right? So what did they, you know, what, what did they really accomplish? And you can look at the history mm -hmm. since then, you know, have we really established this limited government, you know, that we're told in the kind of conservative and even libertarian mythology that America is all about? You know, what did the government actually stay limited or did it become something that's even more imperial than the British Empire that, you know, they broke away from? Well, really quick, though, uh, Paulo, there was a, a thing I've read that there were actually like 13 or 12 or 13 presidents before Washington. And it was some under the Continental Congress and others under the Articles of Confederation that we actually had. I mean, under the Articles, it was a much more, I'm going to say this in air quotes, libertarian society. There was no real structural government and everything had to be unanimous. And that's why they didn't like it, because they couldn't do shit, which I thought. Hey, that's cool. Let's go back to the Articles of Confederation because that yeah, would really piss well, people it, off. And it did. Some people view the Constitution as a coup against the Articles <laughs> of Confederation and that it was a, an illegitimate. Uh, government, there was no, uh, they didn't follow essentially the rules uh, in making the changes that they did. But, you know, I mean, whether we should go back to that, you know, to me, it it's almost like going back to the Constitution. Like it, I don't know if it, if it makes sense or if it makes sense to move forward. Well, no, 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 I'm just, I'm saying this in just hypothetical. I mean, obviously not. But what I'm saying is if we didn't adopt the Constitution, we'd probably be just a little bit freer now than we currently are. Because it just it just takes time for tyranny to expand. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true because uh, you can look at how they tried to like establish a central bank, like again, right off the bat you right. know, uh, with Hamilton. And so they, they did for a while. And then, you know, uh, Jackson came in and, and killed that. And then it was a long time before they were able to do it again. You know, it was like almost 100 years. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does take time. And then if the politics kind of goes in one way or, or the other, they kind of have to wait decades before they try again. And I guess the same goes for, for liberty, too. You know, right now we're living under the rule of the Federal Reserve. And, you know, at, at some point, uh, it may be that, you know, we end up smashing their monopoly, getting rid of them, and there'll be a, a new regime. You know, and then people in history will look back and say, oh, that was that was just a blip of, you know, 100 years, 150 years, whatever. But to, to us, it seems insurmountable, you know, just in the moment. Absolutely.
Most definitely. I have a question for you. Um, first of all, that was really interesting, and I can't believe how much you know about that. I can't wait to read more of what you're doing. So thank you for sharing. You call yourself a habitual skeptic, and can you explain how that's benefited you? So I just mean that I uh, try to always criticize myself and my own worldview uh, and also criticize others and uh, not be afraid to do so. And it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to criticize yourself, to be skeptical of your own uh, worldview. But my views have uh, changed over time as well. I I wasn't always a voluntarist. I wasn't always... uh, libertarian. I actually grew up more, you know, like in a a traditional um, conservative type of environment. And uh, basically that I liked in that uh, ideology was the nugget of what eventually became, you know, my libertarian leanings and eventually my voluntarist perspective. So I think um, if you are the type of person who, you know, doesn't uh, necessarily like accept things as they are or doesn't accept what they're told or uh, tends to question things, even if it's not, you know, all at once or even if you don't understand everything right away, um, because education is a big part of it, too. Over time, you kind of tend to move towards where you are naturally supposed to be. Um, So, yeah, it's 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 definitely an evolution. And and that's kind of what what happened with me. You know, any ideology, the conservatives or the liberals, they have contradictions in that ideology. And if you work out those contradictions, right, if you pit them against each other, eventually where you'll get to is uh, voluntarism. I agree. And that because that's the path that I took. I know I know it, you know, from a personal standpoint. Mm hmm. I think all of us, definitely. Do you think that there's a certain type of personality that is more inclined or do you think that it's more the upbringing? I think it's both because, you know, I guess some people could have like a reaction to their upbringing, like a negative reaction if if their parents try to impose something on them. And so then they might go, you know, really far in the other direction and they won't ever be like motivated enough to kind of resolve those contradictions. They'll, They'll just always have in their mind I'm fighting against what was imposed on me. Maybe, maybe that's true for some people. For me, I I didn't really have that. Like I didn't have that feeling of being imposed on. So just my mind naturally started to wander, you know, and uh, I I naturally went like that. So I think it's both, you know, it depends. Some some people's upbringing might be, might push them towards libertarian thought or it might push them away from it too. Hey man, so let's get controversial. Raylene, you ready? Let's do it. Let's get controversial. (laughs) So what is the collectivist concept of white privilege and do I have it? Because I'm whiter than a snow. I think, I mean, Raylene is white. So am I. We're like, we're vanilla. We're so vanilla. So um, do I, do we have privilege or does she have, do I have more privilege than her? Because I'm a white male. I'm a white cis male. So I must be fucked. <laughs> yeah, no, you, it's you're the highest. <laughs> What's that? It's the opposite effect because you have the privilege. So yes, well, I'm, I'm like I'm fucked with like high school and college students, not in a good way either. <laughs> you're you're economically well off, but you're morally fucked. Is you know, exactly yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> morally <laughs> fucked. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, really uh, crazy how this idea has, has just kind of wormed its way into society. You know, I, at first I dismissed it, you know, when I saw it, I, well, I thought oh, it was just a bunch of crazies. And then it just ramped up it did. As, as these things usually do. You know, they just they kind of fester 
And then they really, really, really ramp up until now. It's as if it's an insanity, you know, and you can't shake people of it. It's, it's something that you have to deal with as if it's sane. Uh-huh. And yeah, it, it is collectivism, uh, pure and simple. And the irony of it is it's based on ultimately, you know, uh, historical injustice. So these historical injustices actually did happen and they're true. You know, so, so the basis of it is, is correct. The criticism is correct. You know, why did those injustices happen? Ultimately, it was due to collectivism in the form of racism and due to uh, government power, right? Because sure. if people are racist or whatever prejudices they may have, that's fine. But, you know, they can't necessarily do anything about it unless they've got the government on their side, either enforcing, you know, racist laws or protecting them if they're carrying out vigilante justice, you know, if they're like not enforcing um, the law equally. So, you know, that to me is the real injustice and the real cause of it. So these people are coming and they're criticizing what happened in history and they're recreating the whole thing all over again. I don't believe it exists. I mean, like I have, I see plenty of people of different culture, of sex, of different everything who make more than me, who are much more successful. You know, I think the collectivist mentality also could be like reverse sexism, reverse racism, where, you know, now it's like if you have a McDonald's commercial, there's got to be a black guy in there or they're racist. You know what I mean? Or there's got to be an Asian person. Or if you go, well, that's just smart marketing, Johnny. That it is. It is marketing, but. It is, but it's just like they have to have like the token white guy in a in a black all black commercial, and they have to have the token Asian guy. And it's I get it's marketing, sure, but it's just it just seems forced. It just really does. It seems really forced. And I I believe that everyone has preferences, and everyone is prejudiced to some extent. I mean, we're human beings. I prefer blue over orange. Absolutely, I hate the color orange, but that's my preference. Do you think that the privilege might just be another newer word for tribalism? Maybe. I mean, that's a good point. Good observation. I mean, to me, that would make sense that that exists. Mm-hmm. Yet, I do think that this is being manufactured and pushed mm-hmm. in order to keep people divided and stop looking at our oppressors, but instead at each other. Right. I'm with you on that. Okay, Apollo, go ahead and comment and tell us how we're wrong. <laughs> well, uh, Johnny, I, I think you need to come to terms with your anti-orange bias and racism. I know. Sorry, colorism. colorism. Yes, it's colorism, man. Fuck orange. Sucks. That color sucks. That's it's even so bad in Halloween. I'm triggered right now. I'm triggered. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know, you you could talk about really all kinds of privilege. I think what it comes down to is a majority privilege. If you have a majority of people that are white, since everybody tends to associate with people who are like them, you know, if you multiply that out over a large society, then yeah, you're, you know, people who are not part of the majority of any characteristics, whether it's, you know, skin color or anything else, they can feel excluded. They can feel like um, they don't have as many opportunities. And that'll be true in any society, right? Because it'll be true, you know, Japan, they're going to have Japanese privilege. You know? Right, right. Well, if we yeah, if I went to Japan, I don't speak the language. Yeah, you're going to stand out. I'm going to stand <laughs> out, but not for the right reasons, right? So yeah, I mean, I would be, I would have a disadvantage in Japan. And not because of necessarily they think white people are the devil, which some maybe do, but I'm just saying in general, maybe they like us. 
we buy their video games and anime porn. So they, they got to like us. I think actually Japan, Japanese people do enjoy Americans being there. Um, I have a, a very good friend who was a DJ there and he taught Japanese kids English. And he said he was treated really well and he kind of took advantage of it sometimes in a, in a cute way. He's a sweetheart. Okay. I thought he was like... I thought he was like hooking up with all the chicks. No, no. <laughs> he took advantage of it. I was like, okay. Hey, how's it going? I'm Elvis. How you doing? He probably could have. He probably could have. He's a sweet guy and he's cute. So. <laughs> all right, man. Apollo, sorry. <laughs> Banter. Sorry. So good. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you can talk about American privilege. I mean, not just going abroad, but just in general, right? We're 4% of the world population. Yet we enjoy, you know, something like 50% of the resource utilization of the world. So it just being in America, being, you know, low class and the, the poor, mm-hmm. poor part of the, the city, you're going to have a higher standard of living than the vast majority of the world. So, you know, it, which one, I guess, if we are to think of white privilege, let's, let's say that it is there, which privilege is actually more important to your existence, right? Is it that you're born white or another race or that you're actually born in America versus any other place in the world that you could have probably been, that you had a 96% chance of being born yeah. in, but you weren't, you know, you're born in that 4%, the top 4% where you have, you know, not only material wealth, you got, you know, everybody's got a cell phone, you know, you can have a, a house or apartment and a, and a car and still be considered poor. Not only that, but you have just the relative security, you know, you don't have a war going, uh, you know, going on in the street in front of your house, like every day, right. you know, even in, even in Chicago, I mean, people like to make jokes about Chicago, but no, it's actually relatively safe, right. Compared to many parts of the world. I mean, you know, think of Syria, you know, and the disaster that is and, and Libya, I mean, man, we've got a lot of privilege, just not, not being there. Good point, Apollo. Uh, I got one question before we take our first commercial break. What is Aleppo? Is that a kind of ice cream? I, it's a, I'm pretty sure. I thought it was I'm an acronym. Sure it's a be, it's a be, I'm pretty sure it's Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> okay. Anyways, let's blast off. This is Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with Raylene Lightheart, and we're talking to Apollo Slater. So stick around. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Three, two, one. Hey folks, I'm Remso W. Martinez, the host of the one, the only Remso Republic podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking, to be exact. This is a pitch for another show. I already listened to too many. But hey, I've got news for you. Each and every Wednesday, you can escape the mindless entertainment and loud political pundits by escaping to the place which truly is the clash of punk rock and politics, the Remso Republic. From comedians to politicians to real-life superheroes and liberty activists, we don't stick to normal often as we hard charge each and every week to bring you the freshest entertainment and news in an ocean of shows fighting for your attention. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many more platforms. Don't miss out. Join the fun and be awesome. 
Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. I know you got a big old record machine. And you got a big bad rockabilly scene. I know you got a big bad hip hop high. And you got a big and old sub 45. Hey, it's Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. And that's me, Johnny Rocket. And I'm here with the ray of truth herself, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Raylene, how are you? Hi, I'm really enjoying this. Are you talk enjoying Apollo? Are you enjoying part one, episode one? I'm loving it. You're loving it like McDonald's, right? More than McDonald's. Thank more you. Than, more than McDonald's. All right. I know. Those fries, too. And you just, you met a cable guy? Yep. Who's really cool, who's going to listen to the show now, and now you're on episode one. Yep. You can't, like, yeah, and your internet's back up. It's a great day. It is it's a great, a great day. day. All together, <laughs> beautiful, right? Happy. Yep. We're like a happy Loving family it. now, right? We're good. We're going like a shower. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hey, and we're talking to Apollo Slater. Apollo, dude, you rock, bro. I really like hearing what you have to say. You're a smart guy and really interesting stuff that you're talking about. But it's tradition, and we're going to make this tradition on this show also. What we do here on the second segment is called Rocket Fire. What we do on Rocket Fire, sirs, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related, and if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Apollo, are you ready to play? Rocket fire. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, question one. What would be your first step to reduce or eliminate leftist institutions like colleges and hippie bars? I would <laughs> politicize all the crazy stuff that they're doing on campus and that professors are engaging in and try to get their funding cut. So I would basically try to trigger conservatives, conservative politicians, and say, uh, look at what these crazies are doing. And, you know, Trump even uh, hinted that he might do something like this a while ago. And when he tweeted something like this, that maybe, you know, maybe your funding should be cut. So I think if you uh, strike at their funding, that's where you can really uh, have an effect. Right on, man. Question two. Do you believe illegals are destroying America? No. Uh, I think statism is destroying America. <laughs> and <laughs> the complaint that I hear is, well, you have these people coming in here and they're taking all these welfare payments using our roads and so on. And my answer is, okay, if that's the issue, let's get rid of the welfare. You know, let's get rid of the state funded roads. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. I'm with you. Yeah. Why are we focusing on these people that are trying to improve their lives? Why aren't we focusing on the real problem? So that's my that's my answer to that. Bam. Great answer, dude. Question three. Do you think it's moral to vote defensively against all government taxation through things like initiatives? Uh, I think voting for referendums is, is just fine. Uh, if you want to vote no uh, on taxes, that's fine. Voting for a person is different. But if you're voting specifically just voting no, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I don't think it means that you're uh, bound by, by the result. At least I don't, I don't look at it that, that way. Right on, Mac. Question four. Do you think the right focuses more on the Constitution instead of actual liberty? They do. It is kind of a mascot, you know, for the right. It is. They like to wave it around. You know, they, they put it on all their literature, all their mail outs to, that ask for cash donations. 
but you know it's it's not really sincere because they tear up the constitution uh, the first chance they get and we have a you know republican uh, government uh, president and and both houses and man they're doing a pretty good job at tearing up the constitution amen all right question five why does the left hate guns so much and what agenda do you think they're really trying to push I think they want to take away free speech, and that that's what really bothers them, the fact that there's such a thing as opposition uh, in this country, and, and that doesn't really, you know, it exists much less in other countries, and especially in a place like China that's really locked down. So I think taking away the guns is, is kind of like a very important step for them because then it, it opens up the possibility of just a genocide, you know, just if you don't do what we say, we'll just come in mass and just, you know, just kill everyone. And that's mm-hmm. the threat that is really underlying a lot of those authoritarian governments. Yeah, and the left is all authoritarian. Question six. Why does the execution of ideas more important than the idea itself in regards to copyright laws? It's debatable whether, you know, their original ideas and, you know, how um, ideas change over time, you know, how, how much value is produced by an, an idea. Uh, what it really comes down to is, and this is true of any so-called intellectual property, whether it's patents or copyrights uh, or trademarks, is how good are you at actually creating value for, for people? And that comes down to the implementation. Ideas aren't as scarce as people might think, and they're not as solo as people might think. Um, They don't just arise in the inventor's mind. It's always cultural process. So I think for that reason, it comes down to how you're able to execute that creates the real value and not the idea itself. Bam. Great answer. Question seven. Do you believe climate change is man-made or is it a natural occurrence or is it a combination of both? I think humans uh, affect the environment. That's for sure. We don't know exactly in what ways or how much. There are definitely natural climate variations of much larger magnitude than what is attributed to humans by the climate change alarmists. Um, So if you look at history that's much farther back, than just the last 130 years, you see much larger variations that make the last 130 years look like nothing. Sure, right. Yeah, I think the natural variations are by far um, the largest contributor to any, uh, any climate change. All right, man. Question eight. Do you think it's okay for Facebook slash Patreon, any private entity that censors any particular group? Do you think it's okay? Well, I think it's their platforms. They and their investors invested the money and the time and the resources to put them together. And they have the right to, you know, control what goes on those platforms. Uh, and then the, you know, customers have, have the right to say, I, you know, I don't like what you're doing. You know, you, you don't have my best interests at heart. So I'm going to go to a competitor. And I think that's the way that a voluntary society and a free market should operate. And, you know, I'm glad that there are alternatives that are starting to pop up to all these big tech uh, giants. Right on, Mag. Question nine. What can result from occupational licensing besides generating revenue for the state? Uh, I think you end up discouraging a lot of people from being entrepreneurs who could be entrepreneurs and they end up just staying in their job that maybe they don't necessarily like uh, with rigid hours that maybe they don't like. And that 
uh, leads to a population that, you know, is more susceptible to the statist mentality, right? And less susceptible to the libertarian mentality. Because if there were more entrepreneurs, right, there were more people who were taking responsibility for how they generate their income and they actually saw how business actually operates just by doing it, then you potentially could have a lot more libertarians in society. Right on, man. Question 10. Can something like gas or oil be considered too cheap? No, I mean, there's no too cheap or too expensive. It's just uh, what the market price is. And that market price is affected by the state, you know, and the geopolitics and, you know, the wars that the empire fights. But there's there's really no such thing as uh, too cheap or too expensive. If it does get too expensive, really what you'll see is just alternatives uh, taking its place, like, uh, you know, batteries or other uh, forms like hydrogen. So I don't think there is anything such as too uh, expensive or too cheap. Right on, man. I agree. Bonus question. This is a episode one bonus question. Here we go. Oh my God. Here we go. Here we go. Oh my God. Buckle the fuck up. All right, here we go. I'm buckled buckled in. Let's do it. (laughs) Do you think anarchism, right, has prevented the Libertarian Party from being more mainstream? No, I think the, the li- <laughs> come on. You're like no, <laughs> no. I think the Libertarian Party has prevented the Libertarian Party from being more mainstream, and it really it, it does it come down to specific ideological positions, or does it come down to uh, the contradiction of trying to substantially reduce the state through the political system? Mm-hmm. You know that that's the real question right. because that's essentially what the you know older republicans let's say uh, maybe from like the newt gingrich era 1994 republican revolution they were kind of sounding libertarian you know so we we had that experiment and it was an abysmal failure um, because you can't get around the fact that to try to eliminate the system eliminate this department or that department through the political system you have to play the game and if you play the game what's more likely are you more likely to change the system or is the system more likely to corrupt you? And I think we've seen the answer to that. Well, Apollo, rock and roll. Thank you so much. We're not done with you yet, sir. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket here at Blast Off, and I'm here with my co-host, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Miss <laughs> Raylene, hope you're having a good time on the show. I am literally having a blast. Awesome. Anyway, so we're talking to Apollo Slater. You can check him out at ApolloSlater.com. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket. We're not done yet. Please listen to these wonderful advertisers. Anyway, so we'll be right back. Rock and roll. Hey, guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at TheLavaFlow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, it's Johnny Rock, and I just want to say that there is very few podcasts that I take the time to listen to every week. But with my limited time, I really want to listen to shows that really stick out. Please give a listen to Mark Claire on the Lines of Liberty. Every show he does is just badass. If you want to laugh your ass off, listen to Chris Spangle with the We Are Libertarians crew. And if you really want to dig deep into the philosophical and the principles of libertarianism, then I suggest you listen to Roger Paxton on The Lava Flow. All these shows are amazing. I personally think every show these guys produce is top notch. So again, listen to The Lines of Liberty 
We are libertarians and the lava flow. You will not be disappointed. Great audience tonight. We have a great... And we're talking to Apollo Slater. And you can check him out at ApolloSlater.com. And he has some just amazing articles that he's written. And hey, man, thank you so much for being here on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, Apollo, I know that you're a writer and you are really talented. Um, What author has influenced you the most? Mm, That's a tough one. Uh You can give me a top three if it's easier for you, brother. Well, I'll give you an obvious one because that's been on my mind lately. Orwell, just because of all the spying stuff that's become so pervasive and that I find myself thinking about that world that he described almost daily. And, you know, a while ago, my uncle said, you know, when he read that a long time ago, he said to himself, I would never want to live in such a world. And that stuck with me because we're living in it now. That's the world we're creating right now. And, you know, it that I don't want, I want to disagree with his conclusion, Mm -hmm. right? I want to believe that we don't succumb, right? That there's something in humanity that makes us want to keep fighting and makes us able to fight spiritually, right? Even if we're unable to at the physical level that we can 
still keep the desire for freedom alive. So yes, I'll just say Orwell just because uh, it's on my mind all the time these days. You know, I was just reading Animal Farm again, and I want you to know he's one of my favorite authors also. So really great. And I totally agree. And what you said about spiritually and in innately inside of us all wanting just the freedom and ownership over ourselves. It speaks so deeply to me. And you are right that the reason why we're miserable in our other parts of our lives and why people are focusing on the minutia is because we aren't free, because we don't know how, we don't know what's wrong. And it's because we are oppressed. So I love what you're saying. Yeah. Thank you. And I turn to the bottle, right? Because I, my alcoholism, <laughs> oh, <man>. my alcoholism <laughs> oh. sheds it protects me from all the mean things you guys say to me. And and that's how I deal with my problems, right? So I'm, I'm relating. I'm relating. It's well, just the it's, only spiritual experience I have is in a bottle, right? It's due to your uh, anti-orange colorism. I think. That's right. So that's that's yeah. the causation. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, Get woke, Johnny. Get yeah. woke. <laughs> hey, man. So really quick. So I've been talking to people and I'm saying, you know, like we've been trying to like promote the ideas of liberty. And I always tell people, you know, where we start with is the people who actually work for the state. I say, you know what? Those people are like the prime candidates because they see the hypocrisy. They see the wastefulness. They see all this stuff. But you bring up a great point or a question, more or less. Is it ethical to work for the government? And you would say, no. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, it's basically the question of, is it ethical to accept stolen money? You know, if we accept that taxation is theft, you know, is it ethical if, you know, there's a robber or a thief, uh, if you take some of his loot, you know, if you accept some of his loot as a gift or even as, as payment for performing services. And I would say, no, I'd be very uncomfortable with that. What if you want to work for the state just because you really believe in it, but you don't want to take a paycheck? Well, then it, it's not really working for the state, right? They can't really tell you what you're, to you're, do. You're voluntary. They, yeah. Well, I, I guess we could use Trump as an example, right? I mean, like he really doesn't work. He doesn't accept the paychecks. Yeah, but he's doing a whole bunch of other stuff. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really. just being devil's advocate. I'm being a dick, all right? I'm being but, a dick. But, but, but yeah, you're right. That that part of it, if he doesn't accept a paycheck, that's great. You know, I think that that's a good move. That That's a step in the right direction. And if all government employees reject the government's checks, that would be fantastic. Well, actually, that would be more money for the government, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but then if they don't, if they can't spend it, then what? You know, what can they really get done? Right. You know, I, I, I get your point. Yeah. I get it. No, I get it. I want to just say the state never found money they can't spend. <laughs> That's right. That's true. Right. That's so somebody's going to, you know, somebody's going to benefit if, if they accept the money from the government. And, you know, I, I don't look at it as just an ethical issue, even though that that is a, a big problem. Like, I don't want to work for the state. I don't want to work for a private contractor that relies on a state contract. Right. I, I don't want to do that. I consider it unethical. But I, I see it also mainly as a practical issue, because if we want to eliminate the state, it, it's very hard to do that if you're living depends on it, right? Just as, so as a practical matter, uh, if you want to build a social movement that whose core principle is we've got to get rid of the state, it's very hard to do that if most of those people's livelihood depends on the state, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have something to say about this though. I mean, it's just really appealing to a lot of people. Like for example, like you have a civilian job and you have the government job and you both do the same thing, you know? But the government job makes like three times as much money. They have benefits, the whole nine. Well, the civilian job, you know, you get fucked. You know, I, I get it. And I'm with you on this because I 
I am totally like, fuck that. I ain't doing that shit. But at the same time, you see these assholes driving around their nice cars and you're like, yeah, I got this used car here. How you doing? But I have pride because I'm not working for the fucking state. So like, that's my question to you. It's, it kind of sucks, dude. Sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, you know I, I, I totally understand it because I, I've had to make the same choices, right? I've had to turn down jobs that mm-hmm. were relying on state contracts. You know, we're working directly for the government. But I would say if you can't convince yourself to give up the government goodies, what chance do you have to convince somebody else to do so? No, I'm with you. No, I, I, I get you. And it's like, you know, I've been down on my luck and I have refused food stamps. I've refused certain things because I was in a bad situation where I could have been handed by the government so they could suck me in so I could be part of their system and be dependent on them in one way or another. I get that. It's easy. It's it's like taking the, the hard right over the easy wrong. And that's really right. what it boils down to. And I would go a step further and say, if you're going to decide who to market to, to build this movement, why would you go for the people who can't even convince themselves sure. that yeah. they shouldn't accept the state goodies, you know, and they definitely can't convince others because they can't even convince themselves. So I'd want to go for the people who, for one reason or another, either because they don't like the types of jobs that the state offers or because they can't get a job for the state or because they're really good that's something that's mostly private like private industry for whatever reason right they are not depending on the state i want to go for those people because those people will have no problem eliminating the state they'll say yeah sure yeah let's eliminate the state you know i don't work for i don't doesn't matter to me and moreover they are going to be in a position to convince others right because from a marketing standpoint you can say, well, we don't work for the state. You know, we are proving every day how we can get things done without relying on the state. That, you know, that reminds me of a joke, Apollo. There's three kids, right? You have one kid and he's like, you know, my dad's so fast. He can throw a baseball so fast that he throws it and he can run down the field and catch it himself. And the other kid's like, nah, that ain't nothing. My dad's so fast that I could take a football, you know, throw it down the, the road or whatever, and he could run and catch the football. And the other kid, the third kid's like, you know what? My dad's so fast. He works for the government. You know, he's off by five, but he's home by two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's okay, that's great. <laughs> I have a question. That was a bad joke. I have a question for uh, for Apollo. Is there a moral percentage of how how immoral you are for who you work for in the government? Let me clarify. If there's a teacher locally that is working for the school, but she never votes yes for a levy and she never votes her own raises in because she knows that taxation is theft, is she therefore immoral for doing this still? That's part one. And then part two is what do you think the most immoral jobs for the government would be? And if you had to eliminate five jobs from government, what would they be? Mm. Sure. So I think for any of these questions, you can uh, look at them just by eliminating government from the question and just looking at it as if the individual was acting on their own behalf, right? And so if they're doing something wrong, that would be considered wrong on their own behalf, then it would be bad you know, if they do it for the government. So really, if they're stealing money or if they're living off stolen money, you know, that's wrong. That's not going to get absolved just because they cast a paper ballot in one direction or another. You know, mm-hmm. one has nothing to do with the other. Really, you can't buy indulgences like, you know, in the Middle Ages uh, so that you can 
kind of vote libertarian and then, well, it's okay that, you know, I live off stolen taxpayer money. I don't buy that. And then in terms of if one type of job is worse than another, sure, because, right, you're stealing money, but then you could steal money and kill people. Just like in the criminal justice system, you know, you, those things stack on each other. You get more punishment, right, if you commit more crimes. So I, I look at it that way. And, you know, if if you're in a job that is like a, a drone pilot, right, where you're killing people every day, like dozens of people, you know, with one drone strike, then uh, that's much worse on top of the fact that you're living off, you know, the stolen taxpayer money. So uh, that'd be one of the, you know, top jobs that I would eliminate. Um, right. And you can you can go from there and you can probably, you know, develop like a, a list, you know, and, and rank it. And if you go even further down, people that aren't employed by the government, but maybe you work for a government contract or they work for a contractor that is, you know, partially, you know, funded by the government. What it co- comes down to ultimately, because uh, we talked about um, uh, this, uh, I've talked about this, I mean, many times, uh, because this is the main objection that I get is, you know, the economy is so complex, you know, you nobody's going to be pure, you know, you're always going to be receiving uh, money indirectly, you know, so how do you, how do you account for that? And I would just right. say that, that's right. Yeah. I, I, the uh, way I look at it is just, are you a net tax receiver or a net taxpayer? You know, right. when you add it all up, when you sum it all up, you know, are you, um, you know, uh, receiving more in that stolen money than uh, you're actually paying in, in taxes? And um, that's that would be like the simplest calculation I can think of. Anyway, so that's Johnny Rocket blast off here. The very first episode. And I'm here with the ray of truth herself. Hi, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Raylene, thank you so much for being here. You're Thanks, badass. Johnny. You're badass, but we're not done. Because you know what? If you subscribe to this show at Patreon, as of right now, it'll be still under JR Launchpad, right? Patreon.com forward slash JR Launchpad. You can actually hear the rest of this interview. Wow. Yes. That's going to be awesome. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket, and we're talking to Mr. Apollo Slater. Apollo, give us your dot coms. Give us the whole nine for our regular audience so they can follow you and hear more about the cool things that you're talking about here today. Sure. So you can uh, read me at apolloslater.com and you can also find me on Facebook, uh, username Apollo Slater, and also on Twitter at Apollo Slater. Anyways, so let's blast off and I'm Johnny Rocket here with Raylene. Anyways, so always launching ideas with Launchpad Media. Anyways, so we'll see you guys next week. Rock and roll.